Well, I have a good news, bad news situation today. So how do you prefer to take your bad news? Uh, often the common advice, especially at work, is to put it in sandwich form. Uh, you know, good on the top, some yucky bad in the middle, and then some more good at the bottom. Like, you're a great employee. We, we think the world of you, but you're really horrible at this, and you're a liability to the company, and we might fire you. But again, you are great. We love you. I don't feel great right now. Uh, maybe it's not the best strategy, but this is what I'm going with today. I've got some good news to start, some painful rough news in the middle, and then we'll finish with some good stuff. So first, the good news. Here it is. God is speaking. In a material world full of data and logic, God is still speaking. He wants to communicate with you. The infinite, all-powerful, divine presence wants to speak to us lowly, finite beings made up of coffee and carbs and tacos. And maybe you're watching on YouTube and you're about to tune out. Before you run away, I'm not talking about the kind of God speaking many of us have witnessed. Like God is telling me the world is going to end in five days because I saw the face of Mother Mary on a pancake. Or God is telling me, you have a demon inside you. I can take it out right after you swipe your credit card. Or the kind of speaking that forces you to take a bullhorn and yell this message to others from the sidewalk. That's not what I mean. That wouldn't be good news. This is what I'm talking about. God is alive and he's active. And he wants to speak to the deepest part of your soul. He wants to speak to your heart about your identity and your value. He wants to speak to your soul about beauty and justice and hope. And he wants to speak words of guidance and direction in this complex existence. So question, how many of you could use more direction and guidance in your life? Most of us are desperate for this. We're desperate for direction in our jobs and careers. Uh, should I quit this stable job to open up a boutique almond butter shop? Should I pursue money and status or stability or a calling and a passion? We're desperate for guidance in our relationship. Uh, is this guy the one for me or is he a bum like my mom keeps saying? Uh, how do I navigate this conflict? How do I tell this person what they need to hear? And we're desperate for help with uh, life problems. Where should I live? Should I continue to pay $4,000 a month for a small shack in the Bay Area or take that money and buy a mansion in Texas? How do I approach my anxiety or my pain or my fear? Or maybe we're desperate for someone to tell us who we are. Why am I here? Did my father-in-law abuse me because I'm a worthless piece of trash? Does anybody see me? Do I matter? Is there hope? Is it worth continuing on? We are desperate for guidance and direction. We feel lost and alone and confused. This is one of the primary desires we have of God to lead us and speak to us. And this is the good news today. I believe with all my heart that God still speaks and he wants to lead you and guide you and direct you. This is amazing news. But now the middle part of the sandwich, the bad news. You and I have a massive problem, a problem that the apostle Paul didn't have to deal with, St. Francis or St. Augustine or any other saint didn't have to deal with. Jesus himself did not have to deal with the problem that we have. 
So you and I live in the noisiest, busiest, most distracting time in all of human history. We have voices speaking to us from everywhere. In the living room, voices speak to us about Marvel superheroes or baking competitions. Uh, Podcasts inform us or entertain us while we drive. Our AirPods speak to us while we walk. Facebook tells us about our second cousin's karate trophy. Instagram reminds us how everyone else's life is better and more beautiful than us. Twitter yells at us about how horrible the other side is. Zoom tells us uh, we can't miss this meeting. And it reminds us we forgot to mute while we're in the bathroom. Uh, Reddit tells us to check our GameStop stock. Our phones speak through text threads and FaceTime and Marco Polo. Everywhere, everywhere we go, we're being spoken to, yelled at, marketed to. So the bad news is we were born in a period of life in which everything is fighting for our attention. The tech writer Linda Stone coined the term continuous partial attention. Throughout our days, our attention is divided between screens and noise and innumerable amounts of stimulation. I learned about continuous partial attention while I was on a date with my wife at Buffalo Wild Wings. She was telling me a story And I was partially attending to the story while partially attending to the 50 sports games on the walls. She said, are are you listening to me? Yes. What did I say? Something about your friend Becky's completion percentage? (laughs) One definition of listening is focused attention on the speaker. We're not actually listening if our attention is only partly focused, partly on the game, partly on the story which makes you wonder if God is asking the question, are you listening to me? And we think yes, but we aren't actually focused on the speaker. And we're in danger of missing the voice of God, missing the direction and guidance we so desperately desire. If we can't learn to focus our attention and leave the world of noise and chaos, we will end up confused and lost in the dark, like most of our culture. Now, there's a story in the Old Testament about a man who was desperate for guidance, just like us. Uh, The prophet Elijah had seen God work in major ways, but now he was in danger and confused about his next steps. So he went up to a cave on a mountain seeking to listen, to hear God speak. So we're going to join the story in 1 Kings 19, verse 9. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied. Uh, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. And I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. I'd say this is deep desperation. He's confused about his purpose and his ministries and danger for his life. And God says, get ready. I'm about to pass by and speak. And Elijah had witnessed like grand acts of God and stories told of God speaking in loud ways. So he was ready for something big. But this is what happened. Verse 11, then a great and powerful wind 
tore through the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Now, uh, one translation calls this a whirlwind. And I really appreciate this because I'm from Oklahoma, the land of tornadoes and whirlwinds. In Oklahoma, every town has a tornado siren. As kids, we practice tornado drills. The movie Twister was shot in Oklahoma. Uh, Seeing cows fly through the air is an everyday occurrence for us. (laughs) Tornadoes and whirlwinds are chaotic and loud and devastating. And you and I, we, we can relate to being in a whirlwind like Elijah. We are bombarded by endless notifications and buzzes and vibrations. According to an article published by the BBC, we're now exposed to as much data in a single day as someone in the 15th century would be in their entire lifetime. Companies target us with algorithms, sending us viral videos, trending products on Amazon. We are stuck in a chaotic whirlwind of activity and stimulation. Let's continue in verse 11. After the wind, there was an earthquake. And it's funny, I moved from the land of tornadoes and whirlwinds to the land of earthquakes. Here kids practice earthquake drills instead of tornado drills. Uh, There are no flying cows, but shifting tectonic plates underground, whatever that is. Uh, The major effect of an earthquake is that it shakes the ground, right? You don't realize how accustomed you are to a steady foundation until that foundation starts to wobble and shake. If you read the news or you scroll through Twitter constantly, It can feel like this, all around ground shaking events and decisions. This politician said this, a new scandal about a CEO or religious leader. There's always something new to worry about, something to be afraid of. It can feel like every foundation is shaky and wobbly. So Elijah experiences a whirlwind and then an earthquake and then this. After the earthquake, came a fire. Now fire, of course, creates heat and pressure. We know about heat and pressure. We know about burning. We have a term that we use uh, called burn out, which is caused by the heat and the pressure we feel. The World Health Organization has officially added burnout as a medical syndrome. It describes uh, one of the symptoms of burnout as having feelings of exhaustion and depletion. And Gallup recently did a survey of 7,500 workers and found that two-thirds of them deal with burnout uh, at some point. And the phrases they used were feeling the pressure to be always on and the inability to disconnect. Can you relate to that at all? (laughs) Available by phone and email and Slack. Uh, And on social media, we see the accomplishments and successes of others and we feel the expectations to do more and achieve more and to keep hustling. And so we can relate to Elijah. There's the whirlwind of noise and stimulation, the earthquakes of ground-shaking news and updates, the fire of pressure and expectations. Like Elijah, we're desperate to hear the voice of God, but we see this again and again in the scriptures. He was not in the whirlwind. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire. 
He didn't speak with these loud events or big expressions. Here's where God's voice came from. Here's how Elijah heard God speak. He spoke in a gentle whisper. A still, small voice. A sound of sheer silence. This is one of my favorite moments in the entire Bible. It's beautiful and poetic. The God who creates the cosmos speaks in silence and stillness. But this is troublesome for you and me. The painful question we have to ask is, how can you hear the whispers of God if you're stuck in a whirlwind? You want the guidance and direction of God. You're desperate for him to speak. But how can you hear a still small voice if you're caught up in the earthquake of updates and pressures to be always on and connected? So today, here's my sermon. If you want to hear the whispers of God, you have to get out of the whirlwind of noise. If you want to hear the whispers of God, you have to get out of the whirlwind of noise. To hear his voice and his guidance, we have to get out. So for the rest of our time, let's talk about some practical ways to do this. So first, uh, we have to let go. We have to let go. In Psalm 46, the writer says this beautifully simple phrase, be still and know that I am God. The Hebrew word for be still is rafa. And that literally means to let go of your grip, to release your hold. If we truly want to hear the whispers of God and to know him intimately, we have to let go of our grip that we have on noise and distractions. We have to be still and silent. Uh, Do you ever pick up your phone and you just look at it without even knowing why? Or you just pick it up and you find an app to look at out of habit? Or maybe you've heard the term zombie scrolling. Uh, This is when you scroll through Instagram and Facebook out of habit, without any intention, just distracting yourself, numbing yourself, trying to find something stimulating, like a zombie. How about this? Do you ever start a show or a movie and you find yourself on your phone or your computer at the same time? Like for us, one screen isn't even enough distraction anymore. Many of us have a death grip on these kinds of things. We're chained to our phones, our work chats, and our emails and we're finding it harder and harder to release. The author uh, Ruth Haley Barton says that we are starved for quiet, to hear the sound of sheer silence that is the presence of God himself. We're starved for quiet and silence and stillness. So to hear the whispers of God, it's crucial to hunt for times of silence in our days and weeks. In 2010, the nation of Finland was searching for a better way to market itself. And they thought of natural resources like wild berries and mushrooms. And then someone on the brainstorm uh, team mentioned how like quiet and boring the country is. And they decided to embrace this uh, by making silence one of their marketed natural resources. So one of their slogans became silence, please. (laughs) Another one is silence is gold talking is silver. And the introverts right now are like, take me to this Finland you speak of. I want to go to there. 
It may sound silly for silence to be a resource, but how many hundreds of dollars do people spend on noise-canceling headphones? How many thousands for silent retreats? Silence truly is golden. In a world of noise and distraction, silence is a rare and valuable commodity. And it doesn't necessarily take a five-day silent retreat to reap the benefits. Studies have shown that two minutes of silence throughout the day can have a relaxing effect on your body. 20 minutes of silence a day can yield major fruit in our emotional and mental health. So letting go of our grip can be as simple as taking a long walk in nature without headphones or refusing to look at your phone during certain times of the day. It could be taking mid-morning, mid-afternoon prayer breaks uh, to be silent and listen. Whatever it is, if we want to hear the guidance of God, we need to let go of our grip on noise and embrace the rare resource of silence. So we let go. And the second thing is we leave. We leave. In, in Mark 1.35, we see this practice of Jesus. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So the first thing we see is Jesus was a morning person. Take that, crazy night owls. Uh, but we also see this, more importantly, he left, departed, and went off. And we see him doing this often. Uh, Matthew says he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. In Mark, he instructs the disciples, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest. In Luke, we see he departed and went into a deserted place. He would withdraw to deserted places and pray. Uh, he went out to a mountain to pray. So apparently, if we are to follow Jesus, it will require leaving and withdrawing. Not only letting go, but we leave. We leave the whirlwind and the chaos to take moments of solitude. Now, maybe you feel too important and too busy to leave. If anyone was too important and busy to leave, it was Jesus. He had more expectations placed on him than we could understand. Uh, people expected him to be a king and a savior and a prophet. Everyone constantly wanted something from him to test him or ask him questions. Uh, can I be at your right hand? Who is my neighbor? How do you get your hair so soft and flowy? You must condition. Uh, even with this intense pressure and expectation, he left and he escaped. And he didn't do what most of us do on retreats. He didn't strategize about his latest discipleship strategy or plan out content for a Sermon on the Mount series or brainstorm next quarter's calendar miracles. No, he prayed. He communed with God. He listened to the gentle whisper. Uh, every morning I wake up around 5.20 because I'm a holy morning person. I sit at my kitchen table with my journal and some coffee because it's the holy beverage. And I have three young kids at home. So for this next hour and a half, this is my time of solitude, my time to leave and withdraw. So as I sit, uh, all I can hear is the buzz of the refrigerator, occasional bird, and there's a rat who stirs up in the attic in the corner of the room. Uh, these mornings are sacred because it's just me and the soft, silent presence of God. 
and the rat. When I look back at my journals, I'm just amazed to see how God was speaking and leading me and guiding me during these times. I can read how he spoke to me during tough decisions. I see the way he helped me navigate this last insane year of pain and uncertainty. These mornings, they give me a time away from the whirlwind and they allow me to tune my ear to the gentle whispers of God. So when is the last time you left? You withdrew to be alone and commune with God. These times of solitude can be big, like taking a half day a month to go to the Redwoods, or they can be small, 30 minutes a day, mornings or evenings. If we want to hear the whispers of God, we have to be intentional about leaving the whirlwind of noise. So we let go of our grip and we embrace moments of silence and we leave and we withdraw into places of solitude. Uh, John Coltrane was a legendary jazz musician. His album, A Love Supreme, is one of the most critically acclaimed albums in history. Of course, I have it on vinyl because vinyl records are what us pretentious folks listen to. Uh, And at a young age, Coltrane had risen in the jazz ranks because of his frantic and fast-paced saxophone skills. Unfortunately, his playing followed his life. Uh, He lived a chaotic and frantic life, addicted to heroin and alcohol, absorbed and gripped by the whirlwind of life. As legend goes, uh, Coltrane had a moment of epiphany and he left the chaos. He went to his mom's house and he stayed in solitude and silence in a room for four days. And during this time, of quiet, something miraculous happened. He began to hear a sound that he described as the sound of God. And hearing the sound changed his life. He got clean and he devoted his life and his jazz to God from that point forward. And in this album, uh, A Love Supreme, he's talking about the supreme love of God. Here we go. So he dedicates this entire album to uh, hearing and seeking after the sound that he heard in the quiet. Now jazz can seem chaotic unless you know how to listen. See, jazz is not like most music. It's, it's rarely written out with chords and sheet music. The word that can best describe jazz is the word listening. The musicians focus their attention on each other. One player will play a riff and the other players will adjust and respond with the groove. It's a form of communion. Jazz is called the music of the soul. Musicians have to learn to tune everything out and be connected to the music and the motif that is being laid down. These motifs are hard to hear. They're like whispers. It takes deep, focused attention and connectedness. And the question that's often asked is, how do I hear God speak? And often we want a verbal voice like sheet music that gives three-step instructions with a map laid out clear and direct but in reality listening to the voice of God is more like music it's more like jazz 
communion that takes place with our soul. And this is what Coltrane realized. It's not just about listening to other jazz players. There's another sound being played, another motif. And this sound was spirit and soul and love derived from the divine. This sound wasn't booming or frantic. It was a whisper. To hear it required focused attention. So my friends, are your ears tuned to the rhythm of the spirit? Is your attention focused on the love supreme? Are you partly attending and partly distracted? Are you willing to let go of your grip of noise and embrace silence? Will you leave the chaos to commune with him in solitude? Because his whispers are all around. He's alive and speaking. He wants to lead you into a life of fullness and peace. But if you want to hear these whispers of God, you have to get out of the whirlwind of noise. And right now, we want to give you a gift. Uh, one of the common things that, that uh, people say, uh, the reason they can't have silence is because they're too busy. Well, today we want to give you a gift of silence. For the next moment, we are going to spend, uh, as a community, spend a moment in silence. No music, no scriptures, wherever you are, uh, we want to ask you to take these moments and sit, to let go for a moment, to leave the whirlwind and the chaos for a moment and sit in the presence of God. He is with you. Tune your ears to his whispers. Let's do this now.